Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, listen to the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalzik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And as you can hear from that delightful background noise that I will do my best <laughs> to filter out, I am live at Comic-Con. I'm live in San Diego. Noel, you are not. You are in a far more temperature and uh, sound controlled environment. How is it going for you this week? Oh, it's going okay. I was actually really happy earlier when it was nice and cloudy and now it's a little sunny and it's about to get a lot warmer for a very long stretch of time. So I'm not looking forward to the heat wave that we're about to have. So I'm enjoying this last day of coolness. Yeah. Boo earns. Uh, Listeners, I also uh, had lovely cloudy weather that gave way to bright and sunshiny. Hence the patch of shade I found for this recording, which happens to be right by where a lot of helicopters like to fly. <laughs> um, yet again. Yet again, the helicopters. Um, you, As soon as we started, like, we got, started putting, you know, the recording equipment going, I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. From last year. I remember this now. It's too late to move. Um, but hopefully people will bear with me. Um, this week in TV, we have, I mean, there's some interesting stuff that went down, but we are going to keep it brief because I'm at Comic-Con and we'll talk about various things next week. Um, anything that, that we gotta, we gotta touch base on Noel or can we, can it wait a week? Oh no, we can wait a week unless you really want to talk about Batman. (laughs) Yeah. I look forward to see actually seeing that because people have been talking about that a lot uh you know at at Mm comic-con and i have no idea what they're talking about so i will watch that trailer and have more thoughts next week Uh, maybe as part of our comic-con wrap-up but uh yeah we're gonna at the end of the show be talking with thomas zoth from crunchyroll about politically progressive which was super fun and we'll have much better audio quality (laughs) but (laughs) but for now we'll just take a break uh listen to a little music and dive right in with our weekend tv we'll be right back after this the world was filled with fashion strong. It shone with a thousand lights. And there was a woman who passed along, the fairest of all our sights. A beautiful sight to see. You would think she is happy and free from care. She's not. Though she seems to be. Wow! That's beautiful! So, we're trying to figure it's out if... It's thing to think of a wasted life. She's a bird in a This week in TV, we're going to talk a little bit, or I should say Noel is going to talk a little bit about the season two premiere of Trial and Error Lady, comma, killer, the suitcase and time and the timeline. Then we'll both talk a little DuckTales, who is Gizmo Duck? And then a, a little chat on the break with Michelle Wolf, sincere and angry. <laughs> but I'll give a little So You Think You Can Dance update, which is the second Academy episode. And we'll go over to the Great British Baking Show to talk pies. 
we have many thoughts on pies. And uh, then we'll, we'll move over to genre for Winona Earp, which previewed its season three premiere, Blood Red and Going Down. And Noel's going to have some thoughts on Cloak and Dagger. I look forward to hearing what happened on Ghost Stories. And we'll round everything out with Claws Double Dutch. So first up is Trial and Error. And all I know about this, Noel, is that it's a parody kind of show with like legal dramas. And that it, season two has uh, Kristen Chenoweth. You know, America's darling, Kristen Chenoweth. So what what did you think of these first two episodes? And should I be t- tuning in? Yeah, I think you should drop in and check out to see if this is going to appeal to you. Um, I liked a large part of season one, which uh, f- featured John Lithgow as the uh, person on trial for murder. And this season, it's uh, Chenoweth. And the show's just gone a little bonkers. Um, this season, and it's much better for it. Um, we know that Chenoweth can go basically all in when she, when uh, production allows her to, and trial and error is just letting her kind of go a little nuts. And it works really, really well. It's really funny. Um, the entire show just feels a lot more cohesive than it did in the first season, I think, even just based on these first two episodes that it premiered uh, yesterday. And it's so I think it's just a lot sharper and I don't mind the mockumentary format quite as much as I normally do. And there's there's just some really kind of solid gags here. And I think that they're benefiting from just Chenoweth's energy, but also everyone else feeling uh, a little more comfortable in the show than they maybe necessarily did last season. Yeah, I've uh, you know, not watched the show, so I have an important question for you. Is this the kind of show? That will find a reason for Kristen Chenoweth to sing. They they have her sing in the second episode. Yes, <laughs> this is a show for Kate. Yeah. That's what I heard. <laughs> and it's a it's a very long sequence of singing. Um, that's semi horrible singing on purpose. Um, so but it's very delightful. Excellent. Well, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Um, also delightful is Ducktales, and we got our Gizmo Duck episode. Uh, we were kind of on the fence about. The use and the uh, characterization for Gizmo Duck the first time he popped up. What did you think about this very Gizmo Duck centered second episode? Um, I really liked this episode. I thought it was really amusing. I think it's probably one of the better use of Mark Beaks that they've done in a while. I particularly liked his magical girl Sailor Moon inspired transformation into Gizmo Duck. I thought it was just delightful. Um, but. I think it's just a. I think it's a little bit better episode in that it feels a little more lived in. It feels a little more connected to Duckburg in particular, which I think is really important for the show overall, rather than feeling a little isolated and feeling really connected to just Scrooge. Um, and so the humor was better. I liked the introduction of Fenton's uh, mom as a detective, I think is really cool. And I think it's it's a good little bit of world expansion, but it's also a good like preemptory sort of this is what happens when bad people get their hands on this kind of technology, which is a very standard sort of gizmo duck plot. So I was glad that we got this out of the way pretty quickly. And I was also glad that we got more very annoyed Jim Rash um, as Gyro Gearloose because, oh, I love that Gyro is just a complete and total jerk. Uh, but what did you think about this episode? Yeah, I liked it quite a bit better than the previous one. And I still like, 
for me, despite the insty empathy I have for any any character voiced by Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, I still was much less interested than the other recent episodes we've been getting. I think it says less about this episode and more about how, how good the last like stretch have been. Um, but I like mm-hmm. what we got here. And uh, like you, I also enjoy Irritated Jim Rash. I enjoy pretty much any Jim Rash. And uh, uh, so that part of the episode worked. And I just like getting a glimpse of of I'm going to say gizmo um at home with his mom was lovely and um i was immediately incensed that scrooge had unpaid interns and then i was like but of course he does i feel like we need webby to like teach him the error of his ways on that or something but um but yeah so this was it was a fun episode and i you know i liked the the mark beaks stuff we're getting i really enjoy him as a recurring villain and uh yeah i look forward to what's going to come next yeah, and I think your point about Scrooge is well taken, even though, like, A, having unpaid interns is terrible, but I liked the end of it, where it feels sort of, like, noble in that Scrooge wants Fenton as Gizmo Duck to protect the city when he's not there, mm-hmm. but totally not mentioning the fact of what we learned about Duckburg in the Murder Mystery Birthday Party episode, <laughs> yeah, where Scrooge leases the land to the city for a tidy profit, and it's just like, that's why he wants to protect it. It has nothing to do with the citizens of Duckburg. It's just to protect the fact that this is a very this is probably one of the primary forms of income for Scrooge. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, this is something that should have been stated a little bit more clearly as opposed to making Scrooge as this sort of like semi-heroic figure, even though he kind of is, but let's not push it too far, everyone. Mm-hmm. I just was happy that they, you know, mentioned in passing that he will be paying Gizmo Duck to, mm-hmm. to do this. So at least he's going to like, you know, put himself on the line and not have to try to also have a second job. So that's nice. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, next up is the break with Michelle Wolf, and this episode is sincere and angry. And my note here is: uh, Are John Oliver and Sam B even still alive after that sick, sick burn? Uh, I loved the segment that Wolf did on basically uh, making fun of the formula for incensed and outraged uh, late night comedian segments. Uh, desk segments very specifically and uh the i like the concept of no it's actually it's hard to write jokes and it's easy to do a sincere plea so let's just do a sincere plea um given everything that went down this week in politics um the timing was particularly apt uh so because of course this dropped sunday morning and then there were immediately several <laughs> late night segments in these this exact model this week. Um, so I just I really appreciated that segment. And other things in the episode were funny, too. But I don't really even remember them because I mostly just remember watching this and going, yep, that's that is the formula. Well done. Well done, Michelle Wolf. Uh, what did you think of this one? I liked it too, and you should like add Seth Meyers to that list. And um, oh yeah, definitely. Because yeah. like a closer look is basically what she's lampooning here really aggressively. I feel like even more so than like last week tonight and some of the Samantha B stuff, which is deeply amusing since she had Myers on the previous week, and then this week she's just like, I'm gonna skewer your signature segment now, <laughs> and um, which I'm sure like Myers probably got a kick out of. Um, but it's, it's really spot on in her presentation of it and in sort of like the cycle of how it works and how it works on an audience. 
So it was really, it was really good. And like you said, given the fact that by like Monday uh, night, there were just a whole slew of these following um, the Helsinki press conference that it was just, oh yeah, no, this is exactly how all of this works. Uh, and so it was it was just really sharp and like like you I don't remember a lot of the other segments in this particular episode but I really feel like as much as she kind of lampoons the whole desk segment sort of thing like they're killing them like consistently each week and so the I'm curious to see if they become self-aware of the fact of how much these death segments with her are a really good, but B also still being really good death segments that are the things that go viral and the self-consciousness of that and the meta-ness of that. I'm waiting for that to like suddenly come into the forefront in the show within the next couple of episodes. Yeah. But I'm also waiting for, you know, people to start doing Michelle Wolf lampoons the late night type of headlines which i didn't really see on monday when i logged on which normally is what happens when you know john oliver lampoons sticks it to calls out etc 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 and that didn't happen yet so i'm waiting for that too which is interesting because uh i'm on the netflix press list so i get the emails every week that say michelle lampoons late night check out this viral clip <laughs> like that they email out to whoever's on their press list uh, like half a week before the episode airs. So I have been waiting for, because sometimes you get these different press e- emails that go out and then you click, you wait like 30 minutes and that exact head, like just like copy and paste, which is what the PR people want. Um, but that exact article has been copied and pasted and posted in different places. And you're right. I haven't been seeing that yet, but I would imagine it will come at some point here this season. Um, let's move on to our next episode. And that's So You Think You Can Dance. This is the second Academy episode. And I wanted to just check in because Laganja Stranja has been cut from So You Think You Can Dance. But Jay did make it through Contemporary. And um, he got cut at the, the final like group round, which is uh, a really solid showing. And they made a point of, uh, like, <laughs> you don't know exactly who in his like little mini audition group they were talking about, but I have a feeling um, cause they don't say names. They just like point to different pictures and then like, you know, they're saying things. Um, and the, the, there was one moment when their group, his group was being judged where uh, Nigel was like, you know, he really surprised me. And the choreographer was like, yeah, no, I didn't think I didn't expect much, but he did a good job and, and like not go on to the next one round. And they're like, oh, no, no, definitely not. But and so I think that's when my feeling is that's when they were talking about Jay, where the, the Nigel did not want him to, to even go to the academy um, at all. And, and so I, I thought it was a neat thing to, to see Nigel actually like come around on a dancer like Jay. He tends to be really irritatingly. Um, biased against male dancers who do not present as masculine, um, as stereotypically mm-hmm. masculine as, uh, you know, as some of the other big stars on the show have been. Nigel just has this really frustrating and strong line of, uh, like, I want to say homophobia, but I don't necessarily know that it's that. He certainly, he doesn't, he has one idea of what, male dancers should be 
and uh, tends to give a lot more leeway to what female dancers can be. And um, so, so I was, I was actually surprised that he came around as much as he did. Um, The other thing that's been interesting to watch is just Jay's physicality because he's skinny. He's very, very, like he's very tall and very slender, long limbs, you know? So it was interesting to watch him do some of these different styles. Um, And I would look, I look forward to seeing more more opportunities uh, to, to see him dance. So if he comes back next season, you know, I imagine they will put him through for quite a while next season as well. And I, I do look forward to hearing that. Noel, any interest in like seeking out on YouTube, the Laganja segments, or are you good? I'm probably good. But um, your discussion regarding Nigel's sort of tendencies, proclivities, biases, um, is something you've discussed before. So I was actually really curious about how far they were going to get within the competition, um, given just the Nigelness of it all. But I'm glad that he made it through all the way to contemporary because contemporary is normally like a really tough week for a lot of folks. Mm-hmm. And if I'm recalling correctly um, from my scattered viewing experience. So I was glad to at least hear that. Yeah. So he made it through contemporary. He got cut at the, the group jazz number, which is the first time they've done that stage of it. And then there was mm-hmm. one more like from the people who made it through the group number. Then they did a final, like they picked the top 20 from them. And so okay. he made it to like the second to last round. So he made it really far, um, which was which was cool. And he, it was definitely time for him to go. He was like very he was definitely outclassed by the people around him, but he was mostly keeping up, which was neat to see. So, yeah, I, I think the dancers they have in their top 20, I was very surprised by a couple of their cuts right at the end, but they have some really good dancers in there. So I look forward to, to following and seeing uh, seeing what they can do. And I'll let you know if there are any dances I particularly recommend as we get into the actual season. They surprised us with one more twist, though. This season, I imagine it's a budget thing. Instead of doing a top 20 and going to the live shows, they're cutting from 20 down to 10 and then doing a top 10 with All-Stars live. So they're cutting hmm. out, like, the first half of the season <laughs> after the auditions. Um, that's one way to keep your uh, episode countdown. Yeah, that'll do it. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, more on that as there becomes things to talk about. Let's move on to Great British Baking Show and Pies. And we have things to say, listeners. You can read my write-up over at the AV Club about this episode. I didn't even get into the whole American Pies thing because I was short on words. Um, but that's. I feel like that's where we're going to center this conversation, Yes. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, before we get to that, um, first of all, the technical was really good. I thought, like, mm-hmm. the whole process of doing a hand-raised pie, I thought it was really interesting and really confounding um, for the bakers. And it's why, like, I enjoy watching technicals, is that they're just like, WTF is this? I don't know what to do with this. And just the process of, even, like, the people who kind of did it well, it still came out weird and uneven-ish and so i really like the technicals um the wellington signatures were fine um i was glad that some folks did like non-traditional sort of stuff but i was also just like no you guys are doing a you guys are doing wellingtons i've i've seen wellingtons before on the show um in in some capacity and so i was just like okay this is fine what are we doing for the showstopper oh we're gonna do american pies oh wait your definition of American pies are really weird, and I don't, Kate, as we've discussed, as we've discussed, I much prefer cake. I mean, <laughs> I'm not a pie person. I yeah. don't like fruit pies. 
um, at all. Um, like, stuff spilling out of crust or anything. No, not a thing. Like, the kind of pies that they were making here are typically what I will eat when I'm eating pie. But I am also just like, I don't like the fact that Paul Hollywood is making me defend pie. And I, I'm not comfortable in this position that I have to defend <laughs> pie. Well, and it's, well, quickly, a, a word about the technical. I agree that it was a good challenge. And it also shows how far they go because a couple seasons from now, because of course, it meant, remember, this is season three of the original series. Season mm-hmm. five, uh, you know, in Indie Order, they're airing on PBS. But like a couple seasons from now, like people will be making hand-raised pies in like three tiers. And like yeah. the, like, so so it just shows how, how you know, the, the, the escalation in difficulty and in talent um, as the series continues. But um, I was actually really frustrated with the technical because I think they needed to show how to actually do it because nobody figured it out. Yeah, and- that that would have been really good to watch Paul actually make something. That would have been a better use of their time than doing a... The eel pie uh, thing, which was interesting, eel, but... Which was... I don't understand why that was there. I was just like... Oh, oh, they're going to do something with eels. That's cool. That's interesting. Oh, no, this was this was just a weird amount of filler. <laughs> well, and why aren't they doing a hand-raised eel pie then? Like, yeah. if they had just done that, that would have made more sense. It was that was strange. It was interesting but needed to be more connected. But um but as for the American pie things like that's I was like, is that a thing? That's that's it's not a thing. I wasn't sure, which is why I didn't go into it in my um uh, in my write-up, but in the comments, people I saw and, and and Twitter and all over the place, people were talking about this episode. They're like, "That is that a thing, British people?" And British people were like, "No, that's nobody calls that's that's not an actual designation of pies." And if you think about what American pies are, like, as American as apple pie, right? Yeah, that is an American it's a fruit pie, or like <laughs> cherry pie. You know, like like a pumpkin yeah. pie is a very traditionally like you know, or, or butternut squash, right? That's that's a very traditional American kind of pie thing. But like, just like a cream pie, which is basically what most everybody made, is mm-hmm. not like the most American of pies. So it was it was an interesting way to specify it. And then it mostly felt like an opportunity for them to just like slag on American pies on, or on dessert pies in general. Um, and I know many viewers were getting defensive about this. It's like, well, yeah, if it sounds like you've had a bunch of shitty pie, Paul Hollywood. And yeah, uh, it does. <laughs> who wants to eat an entire slice of pie and then go back for a second slice of pie? You're doing it wrong. Yeah, he is. And it's just, it's really weird and aggressive. And I didn't understand it. Like it, I got angry and it's just like, I shouldn't be getting angry about pie. I don't like pie. Yeah. But and yet it's just, and yet, and a lot of it is just like, it's the Paul Hollywood sort of smugness of it all too. That doesn't help. Yeah. Um, That I'm just like, dude, you need to, you just need to step back. And also, like, why are we taking these pies out of the tins? That's not how this works. Yeah, those are tarts. <laughs> those are not pies. Yeah, it was very strange. It was, it was, yeah, it was strange. I will say this, yeah. though. I have made that, um, that pot, that lime pie, Ryan's Key Lime Pie, which one of the commenters at AV Club did feel obliged to mention is not actually a key lime pie because it's not made with key limes. It's made with lime. So it's just a lime pie. Yes, that is correct. That is technically correct. The best kind of correct. However, I've made that recipe and it is freaking delicious. It is so good. And you can find the recipe online. The BBC put it up on their website at one point. They have since taken it down, but other people have copied it to their food Mm -hmm. blogs. And seriously, listeners, 
go make it. And like you can make like a little mini version. Like I've made it before in muffin tins. And oh, it's really good. I suck at meringue, so I'm not good at the meringue part of it. But um, but it's was, it was really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my person and I both want to try and make it um, because we were both like, it sounded really good. Like the combination of doing like a lime and ginger mm-hmm. sort of mix really appealed to both of us because we both really like those kind of flavor profiles. And so uh, we're probably going to try attempt to make it at some point. Have um, fun. But yeah, no, we're, I'm, we're both kind of excited about it. Um, what else? Oh, the other thing I kind of wanted to mention, and this is another Paul Hollywood axe grind about the pies. Mm-hmm. All right. So James brings up this very traditionally made sweet potato pie with very little decoration. He's got like a little pecan, little pecans um, circling the crust. And quite frankly, it looks like a very good type of sweet potato pecan sort of like Thanksgiving-esque pie. This is nothing I would ever eat myself, but it looks very good for that kind of a pie. And he just looks at James and goes, oh, this is kind of plain. You didn't, you didn't do a whole lot with it. And then Catherine brings up a chocolate and peanut butter pumpkin pie. And he's just like, this looks amazing. And it's just like, dude, it's a big peanut butter cup. It looks exactly like a big peanut butter cup. (laughs) You just like it because it's got peanut butter in it. And we know how you feel about peanut butter, Paul. And there's nothing, there's nothing decorated on top of it. It doesn't have a mirror glaze. It's got nothing. It's just a big peanut butter cup. And he's just like, this is amazing. And it's like, no, it's not, Paul. <laughs> don't, don't make me defend Paul here. It was a very sleek finish on that pie. I like, I, I thought it looked great. I also thought that the, 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 like the squash or pumpkin pie with the pecans looked perfectly fine. It just like, it, it wasn't showstopper material, which is what I think yeah. Paul was going for, but did not like really explain in a meaningful or useful way. But it, like, it looked, it looked like for a signature challenge, absolutely fine for the showstopper. I kind of feel like, you know, do some curly cues or some spun sugar. I don't know. Do something to make it look pretty, whip up some, whipped cream or something i don't know but um but no you can't do any sugar cake because the entire point of these pies is that they're helped by being made more british which means less sugar yeah yeah i think that's ridiculous some of like when they were talking about their recipes it's like well i find the american pumpkin pie to be just disgustingly sweet so i started with that recipe and then i added maple syrup and i added candied blah 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 i'm like you you were just adding more sugar everything you're saying is more sugar. How is adding bourbon and maple syrup make something less sweet? That's ridiculous. The alcohol in the bourbon is just going to bake off and you'll have some different flavor, but you will have no less sugar. I was very puzzled. The entire thing was just deeply, deeply puzzling. Yeah. However, I did think that Brendan's pie looked gorgeous. Oh, yeah. The the chiffon pie. Yeah, no, that did look really, really good. Yeah. And I liked uh, Sarah Jane's pie, which I, I thought it looked really pretty, particularly from above, because then you could see her yes. piping and you could see like the perfect little coins of banana that were like that were in a nice, very neat layer on top. And then with the with the very specific piping, which you never would see unless you had a high def camera directly above the pie <laughs> like they did. Um, so it was I really enjoyed this episode um, because I think I'm just so you know, like the, the dramatic pivot of Ryan from almost eliminate, almost eliminated last week to Starbaker this week was, you know, I, a kind of turnaround we don't see very often. Like usually it goes the yeah. other way. 
you know, like yes. it did for Victoria this season. Um, so that was kind of neat. And just like, again, the pie is that good. <laughs> so when they were just like, and when Mary's like, I'm going to go home, I'm going to make that pie. It's like, way to go, Ryan. And, and Ryan had no idea it was that good, which was also kind of interesting, too. He's like, oh, yeah, I guess they like it. It's like, yeah, yeah, dude. I'm not sure that they like it. I don't believe that they like it. I think they're I think they're lying to me that they like it. it was basically his attitude the entire time. Yeah, he's like, I don't trust it. They've been like real like they've been real jerks. And that's something that, spoiler alert, you're gonna see in the next episode. I'm totally hashtag team Ryan with a thing that happens in the next episode, but we will talk about that next week, should the mood strike us. Um, do you have okay. a current front runner or favorite? I do not. Um, so, yeah, no, I, a lot of this crowd is sort of still blending for me, even though we're like five or six episodes in now, I feel like. Yeah. So I haven't really picked out a favorite just yet. Um, do you? Well, you've already seen this. Yeah. So do you remember where your thought process was around this time? Well, then? obviously, I'm ha- I'm on board with all of the string players. So that's Brendan, the cellist, and James, the bassist. His sister's also a violinist, so that helps even further. Um, but I, you know, I, I like a lot of these bakers. Um, I think Brendan is just like uh, is the front runner right now, just in terms of like performance. But I can so relate to both Sarah Jane and to uh, to Catherine. Like when Sarah Jane was freaking out because because the the Wellington uses this really expensive cut of beef. I was like, oh my god, that's me every Christmas. But that's why I no longer do the standing rib roast because it was just too stressful. Because my family would present me with this like eighty dollar piece of beef and be like, don't don't get up. <laughs> You know, and so it's just too stressful. So I stopped. I was like, "I'm not doing it. You can do it. You can trim it." And like, I, I'll make the Yorkshire puddings. Um, so I really have been enjoying the two of them, and I'm also really appreciating Danny as well in a more subtle way. She gets to kind of shine in the next episode, as far as I'm concerned. So we might have more to see on her as well. But uh, I, there's nobody right now in, that's in still in that I don't enjoy and kind of root for. So I think, uh, yeah, I think they're at, they're at a good point. And I'm going to miss Manisha too. I thought that they were too harsh on her about the, the pie, not having like artificial stiffener in it or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I think it was like, yes, of the people, it was time for her to go. But I also was like, come on guys. Like you said, it's delicious. It just is kind of soupy. There are way worse things that a pie can be than delicious, but a little soupy. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. So it was that. Yeah, they were they they were they were just harsh in general. I feel like this episode. Yeah. Well, hopefully with that sugar, they'll have a little food coma and then everybody be in a better mood for the next episode. Uh, our, our next episode is Winona Earp, uh, uh, the season premiere Blood Red and Going Down, which is a preview uh like they aired it on Monday on Sci-Fi, and then they're going to actually have the premiere with the new credit sequence and some other goodies airing tonight, and uh, as we record. And uh, th- th- I thought it was solid. There was some stuff about it that I really liked, um, and there was some stuff that I thought was a little too fan servicey and um, just exposition heavy dialogue. That I know that they can do better than that. The the I think the the, the comedy parts of the episode work really well and the dynamics work really well there's uh an early line of dialogue from nedley that i really appreciate and i look forward to talking about it in a less 
oblique way once you've had a chance to see it, Noel. Um, so do you know what the villain of the episode is or no? No, I, I, I've been writing so much during work that I've not been looking at social media at all really this week. Um, so I have no idea. I will say nothing. It, okay. it, it involves sexy fog. That's all I'll say. Sexy fog? Sexy fog. More on this next week. Um, okay. Let's move on to Marvel's Cloak and Dagger ghost stories. Uh, I have in our notes here from Noel, well, that may start a conversation. And I haven't seen this episode, so I have no idea what you're talking about. But I've seen that note in, in our, 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 our document here for a while, and I am intrigued. What happened on Cloak and Dagger this week? All right, so this episode has Tandy and Tyrone basically both getting what they want. Um, Tandy faces down with the CEO of Roxon, and Tyrone finally confronts Connors um, in full force with the aid of um, Detective O'Reilly and Delgado, the cop that she was banging in her in his patrol car um, a few episodes ago. No, not Delgado. Fuchs. 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 Um, and so they both like to have these parallel tracks where they're finally getting what they're looking for out of this whole sort of endeavor that we've been watching. And they come to varying kind of conclusions about what this was worth, where what it what it means to them, because all of this is happening on the anniversary of the platform explosion. So there's a good fair amount of emotional weight to it. Um, and generally, the tracks work really, really well together. The thing that I imagine may cause a conversation was the fact that following the fact that they're able to get Connors to confess to killing um, um, what's his name? Uh, Billy. Um, by basically by Tyrone posing as Billy using a cloak and doing some evaporating um, type stuff. Um, and the entire sequence is really, really great, I think. Um, the episode ends with um, O'Reilly going to Fuchs's place because um, we've uh, established them as sort of like a couple that's going to take like the next step. And he makes apparently really good after-sex pancakes and just all this sort of stuff. And then Kate, I kid you not, she finds him dead in his refrigerator. In? Yes, in the refrigerator. They literally fridged him. Wow. Yeah. And it's super bloody and just like, it's very graphic. And he's like stuffed in the fridge. Not unlike how... Um, Green Lantern Kyle Ratner um, found his girlfriend. Yeah, like the original fridging. Yeah. That's got to be a from. very intentional yeah. choice then. Yeah, no, it's a very deliberate choice that they're making here. And so I'm really curious about what this is going to do for O'Reilly going forward and if this is actually going to result in anything because a lot of the, the times when they sort of do this kind of inversion of murdering a woman's... Um, romantic partner it doesn't really result in sometimes in a lot of propel um character shift or that kind of a thing it sort of ends up causing them to sort of spiral a lot at least in comics um so i'm really curious what they're going to do with it on the show since they're very making this making this very conscious decision to reference that green lantern thing and then like literally fridge him so i'm really curious about what they're going to do yeah. Huh. I still, I mean, like, yeah. that's that's just interesting. 
Like, I'll have to see what I think when I watch it. That could... Like, I can't imagine liking that, but it's... Again, at least it's interesting, because nothing in the cop stuff has been interesting at all. Um, yeah, and it's still not. Except for, <laughs> like, course. them hunting Connors down at this at the dock is interesting. But that's because Tyrone's finally, like, actively involved in this process yeah. a bit more. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, more on this next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, has there been response online? I didn't have time to look for one okay. um, after this aired because I actually ended up watching this episode kind of early since I had screener access. Um, so I didn't like seek out some of the reaction um, today since this airs on Thursdays, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It airs on Thursdays. So I didn't have time to look for anything today uh, bef- while I was working. Okay. Well, listeners, let us know what you think about this. And Yeah, uh, please. Yeah, like I said, more on this next week. Our last episode for our week in TV is Claws, Double Dutch. And, um, okay, let's just start with this. Uh, creators of Claws. Creators, writers, producers, anybody of any show. It is not okay to have someone have sex with someone who's in a coma. If you're in a coma, you can never consent. Which means anyone having sex with someone in a coma is raping them. And it's not fucking funny. And it's not romantic. And it's not silly. And it's not cathartic. It's fucking rape. So stop doing that. It's 2018. What the fuck is wrong with you? That's a really valid question. Like, the sequence is played very much sort of romance slash for laughs and i think that there's a weird sense of like this is as ridiculous as this show can get sort of thing and they're kind of leaning really hard into that but at the same time it's just really weird um that it and it, it almost feels like a step too far almost like that this is a little sort of ridiculous um in terms of sort of like an emotional connection between them that can only be recreated through a rape and it feels really bizarre and feels really off-brand um and it feels just it doesn't feel like it fits within the overall course of the show um like it was basically just like they got this really good idea they didn't want to let it go and so they just did it and then sort of tried to write everything else around it and it's just it's it feels weird because even sort of like the psychological aspects of like Bryce waking up and everyone being a okay immediately afterwards, like in the hospital bed, is just weird. And yeah, it, it's weird and bad and goofy and just all sorts of uncomfortable sort of ways that don't feel necessarily within the same vein as the rest of the show. This is also a show that played rollers consistent rape in season one Mm -hmm. for laughs. And Mm -hmm. it's not, it wasn't okay then. Uh, Even if, even if they were a happily married couple, you could make some different assumptions. This would still be rape. Um, But, but Bryce could not have been more clear. He was filing for a divorce. He did not want to be with her. Like there's nothing about this that is okay. And I don't understand how this show 
goes from doing that beautiful, wonderful subplot about abortion that's so aware and um, so nuanced, you know, to doing this in two episodes. I just, I just, uh, it boggles my mind. And I don't, I want to know who thought this was a good idea. And I hope that this is a situation where it's just the showrunner and other people tried to shoot them down in the room, but ultimately it's the showrunner's choice. It's whoever's running the room's choice. Uh, Cause the rest of the episode has a lot of really great stuff. There's a lot of really great Desna stuff. There's a lot of, you know, interesting developments happening throughout the rest of the, you know, the, the other characters and the mythology and the flashbacks and the, the actual like double Dutch that we see, I thought was really neat. But then you have this and like, normally I would stop watching a show that did this. Like without a question, I would definitely stop watching that, the show, any show that did this. But I don't know if I'm going to stop watching Claws. And then that makes me very frustrated with myself because I'm not holding true to my uh, stated ethical beliefs about what to art I should support. Um, so I'm having a really hard time with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how best to approach sort of dealing with that because it's one of those problematic faves sort of instances of like this has been a show especially this season that's been particularly good about highlighting or dealing with certain kinds of issues and then it does something like this that it's really difficult to sort of go it's it's really difficult to go this is the same show it's really difficult to go but we're really leaning in on this sort of idea of women empowerment through doing these kind of various deeds, whether it's Desna finding a part of herself that she didn't know that she had and wanting to explore that, or Polly sort of relishing the fact of being a madam, basically, and how much this is actually really meaning to her and how much she's really enjoying it. Also, Ken, why are you wearing a wiretap in your own house? What is wrong with him? <laughs> um, but... Yeah, it feels like a really it feels like a really big ask for the show to do something like this. And it feels like they're asking them you to bank on goodwill from basically the previous episodes, previous five episodes to be okay with it, which is I feel like just too much of an ask. Yeah. Um I guess, again, let's, listeners, let us know what you think. Uh, I haven't had a chance to look up different rea reactions to it. I hope I'm not the only one having this strong of a reaction, but I don't know yet. And, um, yeah, it's just really, it's, it's mind-boggling to me. Do, are there any other aspects or elements of the episode you want to talk about? Mm, let's see. I feel really bad for that innocent bystander that the Russians mistaked for Uncle Daddy. Because mm -hmm. um, that's, that's just a bald dead guy in Florida now, and that's not okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I'm curious to see what like sort of Desna's endgame is going to be as we move into the second half. And to see what they're going to do on a plot level to sort of make this work. Um, since it's going to require a lot of sort of like delicate balancing, uh, especially with like the Hussars, um, being, whatchamacallit, um, like hiding out basically in Polly's house watching General Hospital, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is delightful. Um, it's just, it's very good. I like that detail a great deal, but I don't know quite what they're going to do because Zalta is such a 
very ruthless. And it, the only thing that I feel like can blind them to anything is the fact that they just won't see Desna coming. And that'll be maybe be interesting, but I also feel like um, Ruval is basically five steps ahead of everyone at this point. So he probably has a contingency plan already in place if Desna figured it out, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, because we still have only... we have, I guess... We, I feel like we have half a season left, but we only really only have a handful of episodes left. And, yeah, like um, four. Yeah, because it feels like they're turning, or they're they're raising the pressure really quickly mm-hmm. um, on, obviously on. Uh, we know what the pressure points are going to be for Polly, and we know what they're going to be for for Quiet Anne. So it's just Jennifer. I mean, and obviously there's plenty of stuff going on with Jennifer right now, but like. Polly, they've they've got Polly, and they've got Quiet Anne on tape. So, what can happen next? You know, it seems like a, it's and it seems like there should be too many people in on the loop in the police department for this to be something that they can solve by just like killing one or two people. So I, I yeah. you know, I I'm sure the writers have a plan, but I am certainly intrigued as to what it could be. I hope they just don't go something as what feels like basic. It wouldn't be basic just because of the fact that they haven't, no one's done this on TV with a, with a, like a female cast with a lead of color. Um, I hope they're not going for something just as straightforward as Desna becomes Heisenberg, you know? (laughs) So hopefully there's some, you know, a trick up their sleeve and it's not just her falling into and embracing the, the life of crime and becoming the ultimate boss of that region. There's a more interesting story to tell, but um, we'll see. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, no. It probably, what I'm sure is going to happen is that Polly's twin sister shows up and takes over the entire operation. And next season is Carrie Preston pulling double duty and we have to deal with Polly's evil sister. <laughs> I'm so here for that. Oh, man. Okay. Um, any final thoughts on the Week in TV? And if not, what wins your Week in TV? Um, I really enjoyed Gizmo Duck, but I think because it just got me so riled up, I have to give it to Bake Off this week. Um, yeah. I just got, it got me so worked up that I had, like, the strongest reaction to it. So I think I'll give it to Bake Off this week. Uh, what about you? I, uh, there are parts of Win on Earp I enjoyed more, but as a whole episode, yeah, I'm going to give it to Bake Off. <laughs> so yeah. way to go great british baking show um a few show notes here at the end of our week in tv you can find a post for this episode over at the televerse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's tv you can email us at televerse at gmail.com you can like our page on facebook and start up a conversation there or find us on itunes with an m4a chaptered feed and an mp3 unchaptered feed we're also up in stitcher and we'd appreciate ratings or review either places ratings or reviews i should say either place and then of course we're both on twitter i am at the televerse and noel you are at Noel RK. And Kate, thank you so much for carving out time uh, from your smorgasbord of panel scheduling to talk about this week's TV with me. Indeed, indeed. It was a lot of fun. And now I'm rested and helicoptered. <laughs> it's time to go back into the fray. Um, we will take a break, listen to a trailer or at least some music, and come back with Thomas Zoth of Crunchyroll to talk about Flickily Progressive. We'll be right back after this. There's nothing I want to be. There's nothing I want to do. All that exists is zero. Would it kill you to have even the time? 
just have to bust on in. Where is she? The one who pulled that out of you. You can't escape me. This is a matter between you and me. So don't lay a hand on her. like a shooting star. The world must be destroyed before it can become beautiful. I guess that's what they call adolescence. Hello and welcome back to the Televerse. Uh, your your podcast listening device is not broken in any way, shape, or form. I am doing the intro for our season um, spotlight this week, uh, but I, Kate is still here. Hello. Say hi, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> um, this week we're joined by a friend of mine from Twitter, um, Thomas Zoth. Um, and we're going to be discussing Fully Cooly Progressive, which uh, just finished its run on Adult Swim a couple weeks ago by the time you've listened to this. Um, so I'm really excited to talk about this. I'm very nervous because I'm doing the intro. That's just weird. But Thomas, thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, great. Um, so one of the first things that I want to ask uh, Thomas, because I kind of know the answer for this to Kate, because I made Kate watch Fully Cooly Progressive before I was, well, I made Kate watch Fully Cooly before I was a co-host on the show a number of years ago. But um, Thomas, what's your relationship with Fully Cooly, um, like Prime, I guess? And what were your thoughts about when uh, production IG announced the fact that they were going to do a couple of sequel series to this? I I guess I'm a fairly old school anime fan to where you I could even talk about how I remember when Fully Cooly was new. Yeah, like the the original old school Prime was the new thing. It was the new thing on Adult Swim, and from what I had heard about it back when you know tv was at a certain time and if you didn't watch it at that time you didn't see it for a while i'd heard that the fruity Cuddy was just this obnoxious um smattering of stuff that happens and it was really annoying and it wasn't really anything i should worry about so i didn't watch it and i remember it was being put out by sync point at the time which is really old trivia uh <laughs> Well, they they were one of the they were putting out like broccoli animation and they I think they were putting out each Fudikuri episode one episode at a time and you'd pay like twenty thirty dollars for a DVD to get it. Yeah, no, my or, friend or, had a couple of those. Yeah. So it was not a high priority for me. I ended up watching it for a class I was taking on uh, anime, actually taught by Susan Napier. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That was it. Was in her class that I was. She showed us Footy Cuddy. And the first episode, um, I think she showed us a fan sub, actually. Um, <laughs> it was it was really obnoxious. So I kind of saw, like, oh, this is, ew, this is not, this is not Evangelion. This is not, you know, the kind of guy next thing I'm used to. But I think episode three is when I, they're actually, the thematics of it started coalescing and i started liking it and then after i had seen the whole thing and or i saw at least half of it in class and investigated getting the rest of it ended up liking it i would never i wouldn't put it in my top 10 of anime of all time but it's a very cohesive well done production um that i rewatched it in, in preparation for this and it it still basically holds up i mean some of the animation 
being it was the, one of the first digital animation uh, anime productions, like fully digital. So some of that is less like wow, you know, the whole spinning camera in three hundred sixty degrees doesn't quite isn't quite as impressive now. Um, but I mean, thematically, it all holds up. The characters are still good. The music is still good. There are moments sort of seared in my memory that still had the same impact. Um, it's a very chaotic story. It's painted in strokes instead of like a a, a, a solid image. It sort of gives you emotional impressions. But it was, it was self-contained. It sort of ends abruptly like, oh, I moved to the city... Uh, this one girl became a photographer. I never saw this other lady again. The end. So I could see why maybe some people felt it needed a sequel. But when I first heard about, um, you know, that they're going to do two new series, I thought that doesn't need to happen. Um, you know, that's my first instinct. Then I see, you know, a little bit more detail about it. I'm like, there's going to be progress- progressive and then... What is the third one called? Alternative. Alternative. And it's like, okay, maybe maybe this could be interesting. I mean, like, maybe if you told the same story from, like, a girl point of view, if you're, like, a coming of age as a girl, and then I don't know what you would do with the third one, maybe a modern a modern update on it. It's mm-hmm. not necessary, but it, I guess it there, there could be something with it. Although mm-hmm. it, it was never something where it was like, um, that needs a new season. I would, I would say, I would love to see a panning and stalking new season that kind of ended on alert. Yeah. So there could actually be more, but like footy Cody, I never thought that there needs to be more of this. And, <laughs> and then they, they decided to make more. So, yeah, yeah, no. Um, so Kate how s- same sort of like, um, question. Like, I know, like I made you watch this, uh, at, when I came on as a guest, um, a few years ago. Um, so how did you feel about sort of coming back, I guess, to um, this particular type of world? Well, no, you did make me watch Fulukuli, but I, so did my, one of my friends in college. So I had seen it okay. in college um, and liked it, but didn't remember much about it. And then, then I watched it so we could talk about it with you. And I liked it. But I had to go, oh, yeah, that's right. That's this one. And then when the new sequel series was announced, I was like, I know I've seen this show twice. I know I enjoyed it both times, but I cannot. And then you like robots out of heads. I was like, oh, yes, that one. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> um, so, robots out of head, phallic imagery, you know, plenty so, of stuff. <laughs> lots of phallic imagery. Um and so I had, to, again, I had to be reminded of which one it was. <laughs> and I haven't seen that much anime, which is what makes it so sad. Um, but for me, I, I never was like, you know what? I think we need a sequel to Feliculi. But I'm sure that that friend from college was very excited because it was like one of her favorite shows of all time. So I know that there's a devoted fan base out there for this show. And I, you know, I would imagine they would have a different reaction. Uh, for me, it was... You know, maybe there's something interesting that they can do here. Like you said, Thomas, looking at some of these themes, but from a female perspective, like there's a lot that you could do if you wanted to. Uh, I I binged this. I watched the first episode and went, huh. Uh, which I feel like is an appropriate reaction to a lot of the strangeness of Lickily. Um And then did not keep up with the week to week and just binged it for today. And uh, stuff happens. And I am interested in many of the characters 
I don't really, I know the broad strokes of what, I like just watched this, Noel. I just watched this, Thomas. How do I not understand what happened outside of the broad strokes? But um, I did enjoy my time and uh, I tried not to be too completely weirded out by some of the decisions, like having a teacher show middle schoolers porn. But that really things decisions like that as as someone who works with kids all the time uh <laughs> was very strange and uh dis- like it was very distracting when they had the teacher hitting on like the the what 12 year old um that was super creepy 13 year old um for me and that happened way too much uh so i just tried to keep reminding myself you know this is fiction kate this is and fantasy. also she's an alien. That doesn't make it less creepy. Yeah, it doesn't like again. Whenever I watch shows that have teenage and young characters, because I have a direct reference point, like that's the same age as fill in the blank. You know, it makes it super creepy. However, I did appreciate the some of the animation and how slight they made and small they made the kids. They actually did the kids for me did feel more like the right age than we usually we see, which was part of also why it was super creepy. <laughs> Unlike on mm-hmm. the CW when you got 25-year-olds playing 16-year-olds. Um, but anyway, so aside from that, which is I know a Kate thing, a me thing, a teacher thing, um, I did enjoy this and uh, I just, I, I kind of go along for the ride with it uh, and and just enjoy this the action and the ridiculousness and the music. Um, but I almost guarantee Noel at the end of the year I'll be like I watched that what happened which show is it again <laughs> and I feel bad for that um but it's it, it's gonna happen again for me I think the original was more interesting I was getting lost a bit in what I was supposed to be like who I was supposed to be connecting to and why in this one versus in the original um but I you know I thought some of the 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 like the zombie imagery and the dreams were really interesting. Uh, the you know again as someone who was a teenage girl and who sees and interacts with teenage girls all the time, the like bottled in emotions that then just feel like they're going to explode out of you. These uncontrollable rages is so appropriate <laughs> for that age group that I think that there's just you know there's a lot there that you could really relate to and is a really interesting thing to see them exploring. I just I, I was not as wowed as I would have liked to have been yeah and i think that's that's fair at least for like me i wasn't particularly wild either but i wanted to like pick up on something you both referenced which is sort of the idea of like emotional broad strokes um and like kate you're talking about sort of just kind of keeping up with the broad strokes of sort of the narrative but also both series i think um prime and then progressive are both very driven in like really sort of broad sort of emotional strokes and particularly for progressive at least for me it's very easy to kind of go wait i'm sorry what are we doing with all this stuff in the fair with the no energy and how is this tying into the some of this stuff that we're supposed the like the whole war with medical mechanica um that just feels really weirdly like background until it's suddenly not um in progressive um but it's also something that feels weird better integrated i think at least in prime but i wanted to sort of like latch on to this idea of like how successful is it when you've got like six episodes 
and you're doing really sort of like broad strokes and for me like a lot of it like Thomas you mentioned the fact that when you were watching the original series that you didn't really key into the show until the third episode which is actually one of my favorite episodes of the show um overall oh, episode three is by by far the best episode yeah uh, episode yeah, no, four it's... is my second favorite but episode yeah. three is perfect yeah no it's absolutely perfect because it's really ridiculous and but it's also really it's a really nice departure from what they had done previously and kind of hinted at a lot of the sort of what I was sort of expecting this entire series to be since we were focusing on Hidomi. Uh, um, so the decision to sort of like have her be kind of closed off and have her sort of like come to grips with who she is and who she wants to be, but also coming to grips with the idea that she can love herself, which I think is really core to this particular season. Um, but I wanted to ask you both how successful you think that is. And in particular, like, how much do you really care about Hodomi considering the, her arc, I think, is even less developed in certain ways than, say, Ide's. Um, but her resolution of where she ends up by the end of this feels perfectly right to me. So how did the two of you feel about sort of Hadomi's arc and how they sort of characterized her as largely sort of more passive than I was anticipating her being? Thomas, how did you feel about that? Um, I guess this is one of my major complaints is that she's so passive that in a way she doesn't feel like the protagonist because i feel yeah. like e-day gets more of the attention like on on a level of like on paper the ending her her resolution at episode six of her decision to move on is like okay that's great i just don't see where it's earned kind of in a way she's so passive and i mean now to the original was passive but she was kind of a he was kind of a narrator here like it felt like e-day got to narrate as well um, Haru, Haruko interacted most with Ide, and then like for a couple of, or an episode or so, like Hidomi had like an alternate personality that made her feel almost like a plot device than like an actual character. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know. I never got into her head. Um, there was the very beginning, <laughs> the dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, ironically, and the conclusion is good, but like from that very beginning to the end, it's like. I don't I'm not getting any sort of growth none of the emotional like angst or whatever that's supposed to be going through and and you know watching the first season episode two is basically Mamimi's episode where we find out she's an arsonist which is you know a little bit of heightened magical realism that the first series mostly was but you have scenes like uh now to seize with her friends that she's been basically thrown in the river without her shoes and she just has this pathetic look on her face and now to realize is what's happening. And it's just this awful moment of just like pure emotion. And then like episode three where you have, what's her name? Nina Mori senpai going through the this, this trauma of a potential divorce of her father and her mother, you know, based with this secretary that may actually be raising her more than her actual parents are. And then there's all this angst there. And like I never got a moment of clarity or interiority with Hidomi that I got from these two side characters in the original. Yeah. Kate? Yeah, when you have six episodes, 
I don't think you get to take your your main character and have them not exist for an episode. Um, yeah. Unless that's kind of the point. And I did think of, you know, the massive mood swings that young people, and I mean all people, <laughs> but especially young people, go through with, um, you know, the chemical warfare happening in their veins. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so, so I was try- I kept trying to like, oh, is that the point of this? And this is actually like a statement on the complexity of emotion at that age and just in general and all these different, and I think I was probably way overthinking it. Um, I like the idea of having this central figure who is just so withdrawn and is making herself numb to avoid dealing with emotions of abandonment and loss. I think we can assume that it's her father is gone and all of these, and is theoretically coming back, but, you know, look at her age. Clearly he's been gone for quite a while. Um, and they don't really get into the exact specifics of that. So, like, the, but this idea of her withdrawing to, and not interacting with her, like, peers and, and really making friends because of that is, like, a defense mechanism and coming into the power of emotion and and of uh, of love and of anger and of like owning that the importance of owning that i think is uh it's a great theme but i had to it took way too long for me to figure out that was what they were doing and uh, by the time i got to the end i was like oh okay yeah now i get it and maybe i'm just you know, slow, which is very possible. It could be other people. This was very, like, a very obvious thing they were setting up and very clear and well communicated. But for me, I had a hard time kind of figuring that out until we got to the end. And it wasn't the, you know, the last piece fits in and everything clinks into place. And then it's satisfying kind of moment for me. It was a, oh, that's what they were trying to do. I can Mm -hmm. see it now. And in retrospect, on a second viewing, I, it would work better for me. Um, so, so, yeah, again, if you only have six episodes, I don't know that that works to have your... your I don't know if that, that making that point about the mood swings at that age is worth what you lose. Also, I liked all the side characters. There are way too many of them. Way too many characters. I yes. didn't get a sense... Of, like, I, I got... A, a sense of a lot of the side characters, but that time that they had to give all of them came from our lead. So we didn't really get to, at least I didn't get a strong enough sense of the main characters uh, because, you know, they were more interested in giving at least a few shadings to all these other peripheral characters. And I, I think some of those peripheral characters are holdovers from the first Um they 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 brought in a lot of stuff that they didn't really need, like the the commander with no eyebrows who shows up as the dad of the plant girl in this one. Like, yeah, why did really he need didn't to be need here? that? He doesn't really play a part. Why does medical mechanica have to? It's not really important. I mean, they they took all these sort of magical realism things from the first one. Like, okay, she's a there's a, a pirate king. She's an alien. There's another alien thing. But the alien things were just means to tell a story about growing up. But they in this they they keep all of those uh, alien supernatural things as like plot elements, and you don't really need them. They were just too much focus on fighting the iron, and the iron doesn't really even mean anything. It was kind of a joke that this thing was an iron in the first uh, series, and the fact that there are more irons, it just it, it it doesn't really 
it's it's holding over these symbols from the first when they don't really serve anything in the, the new story. Yeah, I think that's really accurate. Um, both of what you've been saying. Um, the show's overwhelming desire to do fan service um, from, like you said, the um, eyebrowless commander and the callback to um, uh, eyebrow guy in the uh, Prime series um, just feels really unnecessary. And even like as much as I love Conti as like a character, him showing up here feels really unnecessary to me. Um, and I kept waiting for these symbols to be remixed in some way or to, as the title sort of implies, to be progressed in some way. And they weren't. And the narrative of Medical Mechanica, which is by far and away the least interesting thing in the original series, is weirdly front and center here. And I just felt really sort of... I kept wondering why that they were front and center here. And I couldn't come up with an answer beyond, well, it's a good way to justify a bunch of really cool fight scenes and some turning everyone into, I think, mochi. Um, yeah, that was... Which... Well, it's what, I, it's what I've come to calling lore poisoning, where they yeah. take some factor of a story that doesn't matter, like who is Medical Mechanica and what do they want? Yeah. Which is not an important question from the first show. Some people may think it's interesting. Maybe you could write a side story about that, but that's not what the show was about. It wasn't about an alien invasion. It was about Nauta basically not having any male figures in his life, and when his, his brother leaving, he kind of feels lost and abandoned, and he has all these girls enter his life, and he learns how to grow up into being a sort of responsible adult. That's what it's about. It's not about aliens. So if you're going to focus on the aliens, you're missing the point. Right, and so that kind of leads me to like the next question about what do we do with that emphasis on aliens? What do we do with that emphasis on... Because Haruko... Haruko Har, am I saying her name correctly? I'm... Haruko? Yeah, it's Haruko... It's Haruko Haruharu, but her yeah, real name Haru. is like Raharu, and it's... Yeah, something like it's that. A, it's a bunch of fun Japanese tongue twisters that we are not capable of doing. Yeah, no, so we'll, we'll say Haru. Um, just for the ease of my tongue. Um, <laughs> um, so, because Haru is, I think, much more front and center in this one than she was in Prime. But then we also get um, Jinyu, um, the other sort of alien woman, the other half of her, um, who is sort of attempting to mentor and protect Hidomi. Um, so what are we supposed to take away from both of their sort of reflective agendas, I guess, um, in which Hidomi is sort of caught in the middle of between her being a gateway for allowing the Pirate King, Atomisk, to sort of re-manifest again? I, I don't know other no? than okay. their opposites <laughs> and they balance and you need to have basic themes of you need to have both hot and cold. I, I don't know because <laughs> there was too much going on. And right. if they wanted me to care about the aliens, they needed to not ask me to also care about the people. <laughs> you know, they've again, too many characters. I couldn't follow all the different plot threads that they wanted, like the emotional backstories, especially because the original was, was hazy in my memory. Um, so that when they brought back these characters, I'm like, that's someone I think I'm supposed to know who they are. I, I don't remember. Um, but so when we started to get more stuff with, you know, the, 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 I guess, splintered self, you know, of, of, the, of, of Haru, like, I was like, oh, that's very interesting. 
this should have been the story. Or the other one should have been the story, but not both. That's that's how I felt about it. Thomas? Yeah, I, I would agree. Like, one, I guess one of the main criticisms of uh, Inokido, who is the writer of the first one, is he kind of like, kind of repeated stuff like a religious mantra. He also wrote Utsuna, and it's kind of like, you know, this is the Rose Bride, or like, he doesn't swing the bat. He doesn't swing the bat. But you know what? You got those symbols. You always understood what he was going for. And I think like the first is uh, first episode, you had the, the the doppelganger of Haruko, who was very straight-laced. And it was kind of interesting seeing her go through all the motions that Haruko did, but she was very stern about it. So it's kind of like, ah, oh, this is interesting. She's different than Haruko. But then you also have Haruko show up, and it's like both of them, you don't need both of them. You could have done an interesting thing where you paralleled the first series with a very different kind of character, or not. But there was just like a fight sequence between the two of them where they're flying around Dragon Ball Z style for like three episodes. Every episode ended that way, and it's just like, this is just to have something moving on screen. You don't really need this. Like, I I would love, if someone has, someone will write an essay where all these symbols are explained or a best theory, and I would love to read that because I, I'm interested in seeing what other people really did get out of this. But, like, I am just kind of flummoxed with some of the, the duality. I mean, yeah, I guess, like, she's, this, this Haruko is the ultimate in irresponsible, whereas in the first one she was kind of like a trickster. Sometimes she nurtured Naota, sometimes she you know, betrayed him. She was just kind of there to help in his development in random ways. This time, she's clearly evil. The The Haruko is kind of, uh, definitely like an evil figure, and then there's a good figure, and then I guess that's how you maybe tie it into the first canon that, that explains why she's so rotten in this, is that her good side was removed. I mean, it's a lot of lower explanations that I'm seeing. I'm not getting really the meaning of what these characters or symbols mean. Yeah, and well, I think um, I think I was maybe keener on this series overall than both of you, even though I really agree with all of the critiques of it. Um, if only because I think that there's the decision to make Haruko really just rotten, as you say, Thomas, I think is really good. She's become really corrupted um, by her just endless chase for Atomisk and that it's become really toxic. And I think that comes across really well in like the final episode in particular, where it's just very much, I've, I'm trying to build a literal cage for this bird um, <laughs> that just actually ends up absor- absorbing the cage. But that, that this has just consumed her, her entire life, that it's just become her entire identity. And Jin Yu's presence is... Like you said, it's the balance. It's sort of like a way of acknowledging that you need to love yourself, which is, I think, a lot of what Jin Yu is trying to get across to Hodomi is this idea of it's not great to shut everyone out, but it's all you have to rely, you have to be able to accept yourself and accept other people, but mostly you need to be able to appreciate yourself for what you bring to a table. And I think that that's sort of what they're trying to do. And I think I'm having to do a lot of heavy lifting on that, even though I really think that Jin Yu, in part because of how very steady Jin Yu is, I mean, she gets, like, t- covered in concrete and is basically like this weird cocoon figure for that beach episode and is just, like, going about her business and offering little bits of advice to people so that they can sort of realize what they offer um but in like a moderated sort of version but i do think that the show 
doesn't make that sing as well as they could, which is why I think that, Kate, your idea of like focusing on the two of them and having Hidomi sort of be caught in the middle in a much more explicit way as opposed to cycling through a lot of side characters that sometimes don't offer a whole lot or don't seem important and then suddenly become important when they need to be grown into a tree to destroy a giant iron. Um, (laughs) The degree to which that could have been is, I think, really interesting. But could have been, I think, is a lot of sums up, I think, the reaction to Progressive, at least for me. And then, like, this could have been really good. And... I think it's fair to acknowledge, like, I didn't answer, like, the question I asked either of you at the beginning of, like, how I felt about the first series, which is something I really enjoy. But I also know, like, Kate, you referenced the person who made you watch this in college. I know at least, like, two people who were probably just very excited about this. Uh, Like, this was, like, formative, definitive, foundational sort of um, stuff for them, like, when it originally aired. And I was never in that vein like Thomas. I was just like, this isn't Evangelion. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I think could have, should have, second draft sort of thing would have been a really good thing for Progressive to have had. Well, and maybe we'll get that with Alternative. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Did yeah, either of so- you see the April Fool's um, Alternative first episode? No, mm. I did not. I did not. I didn't even know that they were doing that, uh, obviously, because it was an April Fool's joke. But I also don't watch Adult Swim often enough right. to I, I be aware. I did, because yeah. I um, heard about it, and I thought, oh, shoot, I'll turn that on just to see. It is, it's very different than okay. both the original and the progressive. It's, it's an all-female cast, and it actually seems to be doing what I guess I had assumed that this one would be trying to be doing. It's like it's we're going to tell the Philly Cody story with girls and it's doing something very different so it seems like they handed off progressive and alternative to completely different teams to do completely different things interesting so they're okay so so it's it's probably worth even people who hated progressive maybe to peek in on alternative i'm willing to give alternative a chance still because what i saw was completely different than um than the even the first episode of progressive the very first episode of progressive like tried to mimic a lot of scenes like i was saying with the 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 straight laced character that were just from the first one so it's kind of like seemed like a lot of fan service there's no fan service it's like it's completely different so that might be interesting regardless yeah that does sound interesting um maybe i can convince kate to watch that uh when it starts airing in november um so we're we're probably running up on about the things is there anything in particular either of you want to mention anything that stood out um that we haven't discussed yet things you really like things you didn't like um thomas why don't you go first there were uh, there were a lot of really good I think moments in it. Like I like the zombie scene at the beginning of episode two, the episode the beginning of episode five, where it's like an expressionist dream in like black and white, and she's assembling like some sort of body on the ground out of machine parts. Those were really great moments. Um, I like the giant cage sort of being absorbed into Adamusk as well. Um, I don't like what they did to Haruko, but I I can expect you know respect it as an artistic choice. But I think, like, the biggest muddle for me is, like, I don't understand. It feels like Ide was the real protagonist of the thing to me because he's the one who got to make all the choices. Like, and, you know, at the end, like, even she didn't actually take her headphones off. It was 
Conti doing it for her. So I feel like she was passive through the whole thing. So I don't know if they were trying to tell it from a female protagonist. Because I feel like she, she didn't get to do anything. And Ide was the one who got the all the interesting choices and things going on. So I think that, that kind of muddled it for me. Naoto was always the focus point of every episode. Every other character seemed to get an episode telling you their arc. But it was... Um, it was a very consistent thing. Um, each episode told in a separate story, and then there was a total arc. And the the, the new series just it was I didn't get separate arcs, and sort of the the, the total arc was muddled. But um, there were definitely moments in there that were that were good, mostly animation wise, and uh, then then really character wise, because I I really did try and have trouble getting a read on a lot of the characters. Yeah, yeah. Kate. What I would add is that this is, I think, a really easy watch. Because, again, I watched five episodes today. <laughs> and um, and it was, like, they're each about, um, if you watch them on demand, they're about 23 minutes. And, uh, and it, it's it's dubbed, which I was not expecting. Um, so, so for people who subtitles are an issue, I would gently encourage you to get over that. But, you know, if you know try to be cool about it but if they are then you don't have to worry about it for this one and uh it like it it kept moving in a way that that i appreciated so like if when i was like if we weren't doing it for the podcast i would have turned off the tv at the really up stuff they kept having teachers do and and students accept with no trouble no question (laughs) um that stuff got over real quickly because it kept moving to the next thing uh, pretty nicely. I thought the, the pacing, you know, like some of the action sequences are overly long for my taste, but that is in the style, I think, of what they're going for and will be what some a lot of people tune in for. Um, but yeah, it was a really, it was a really easy binge. And um, if if you're interested, you know, throw it on while you're, while you're folding your laundry or, and, you know, you might find yourself getting sucked in. And if you don't, then you'll just have an experience of, wait, what is, what is, what is happening right now? And that can be fun sometimes too. And I, I know I enjoy that type of viewing at times. So I would recommend it for that. Okay. And we should note that um, for whatever reason, Adult Swim decided to hold back um, like official legal subs um, until November when Alternative starts. Um, which is weird, and I don't understand why this day and age they decided to do that, but they did, and it doesn't make any sense. But there you go. Um, I do agree with uh, Thomas that I think a lot of the openings were really, really good. Um, the dreamscape type stuff uh, was always really kind of gorgeous, particularly like in episode five, which is an episode that production IG, I just assume, handed off to someone else or like they gave it to like a different team within the studio because the animation style is very different. And I really sort of appreciated that type of a swing that they took to borrow from um, the original series's mantra. Um, and I think that's sort of where I ended up with it is just like, it's good. There's a number of really good moments in it and there's a compelling story somewhere in here, but like Thomas said, it's muddled by a bunch of stuff that just doesn't need to be there. But I am reassured by the idea that alternative is going to be pretty, at least on the based on the first episode, is going to be pretty different. So that's really exciting to hear. Yeah, the the new the alternative I think is it seemed to be fan service free. It's it's okay. not doesn't have all those burdens of let's tie in all the jokes. I could be wrong. Episode two could yeah. be completely <laughs> trash, but I mean, so far it, I I still think there's promise in that one. 
Great. Well, um, maybe when we finish Alternative, you can come back and we can talk about it again. Um, so, Thomas, for our listeners, where can they find you and your work online? Um, I'm mostly on Twitter at ABCBTom. Um, I write for Crunchyroll currently. Um, I have a blog, but it's so unupdated, it's embarrassing to even mention it. But, um, yeah, check out articles on Crunchyroll. I usually write about the, the upcoming uh, series of the season, like currently Hanibato. The badminton one, and um... which I have been watching, by the way. We should oh yeah, talk about it's, that. it's yeah. the animation is really good. Hopefully, we'll get Tepu soon. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so thank you, Thomas, uh, for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. <laughs> Thank you.